and welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most interesting topics in the world of Indiana basketball and sometimes Indiana football. This is our 153rd edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 565th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, January 2nd, 2020, immediately following the Indiana football team's crushing loss in the Gator Bowl which we will talk about here on the show, along with some basketball. I'm your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. So obviously, as our longtime listeners know, this is a basketball show, and our banner moment is typically reserved for something from the previous week that led us to believe that the Indiana basketball program is on the right track to hang another banner. And I had something written down that I was going to talk about, about Trace Jackson Davis and how he's already won six Ken Palm game MVPs in 13 games, which is really quite remarkable when you consider that Romeo had five all last year. Uh, you know, and in a week when there has been a lot of consternation after the loss to Arkansas, it certainly is nice to be able to have a guy like Trace uh, that you can rely on and, and watch. And obviously, we really look forward to watching how his freshman season progresses. But in the immediate aftermath of this Indiana loss to Tennessee tonight, and we'll talk about it some here in the first segment, and there's going to be a lot of negatives that come out of this game in, in terms of that collapse and some of the really poor coaching decisions that were made. But let me just start it off by tipping my cap to the Indiana football program and to Tom Allen for delivering one of the best seasons that we've seen of Indiana football in the last three decades. And obviously it didn't end the way that we all wanted it to, but eight wins, you know, taking care of business against the teams that you need to beat. That was always the next step for this Indiana football program, more so than getting that huge breakthrough victory against one of the big teams. And they took that step. And now it's going to be very interesting to see if it's sustainable, if they can keep it going. But this football team brought us a lot of you know, really entertaining victories, a lot of great moments this season. And for the most part, this game tonight was good, obviously, until what happened at the end. But you know, what happened at the very end of this game it obviously mars the Gator Bowl experience, but it shouldn't mar the overall experience of being an IU football fan uh, this year, which overall was very positive. So a hat tip to Tom Allen, to the coaching staff, and to the players for delivering a really, really good season overall this year uh, for all of us to enjoy. All right, let me now introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show. Ryan is off tonight, most likely walking the beach in San Diego and contemplating how he now lives in a world in which Indiana football appears to be on more solid short-term footing than USC football. Uh, but to my left, he is the Jim Harbaugh of Girls Youth Sports Coaching in Cincinnati, the president emeritus of the Robert Johnson Fan Club, and the man who made being a bracketologist cool again. Andy Bottoms, the nation's most accomplished bracketologist. Andy, what is your Bottoms line? Andy is not here. <laughs> okay um so there we go andy is not here he's having problems with zoom uh i did not notice that uh but now i do so to my right the man who is here the man who is always here he remembers the days when a movie cost a dollar heaven help you if you ever decide to pop your collar play hard but remember fake hustle is a crime he's the coach and it's time Ah, okay. He is the coach, Brian Tonsoni. Coach, what's on your mind? 
Um, I, I'm trying to um, find words to speak after uh, losing that lead in the fourth quarter in the fashion that Indiana football, um, being a fan since 1985, uh, it's been tough um, to, to watch uh, a long drought uh, of good football. And I'm going to focus on the word Jared process. And, and I think process for Indiana football is being in three bowls in five years, um, getting a coach that uh, whether uh, you like uh, the rah-rah, which I don't, um, or you like the recruiting, which I do, uh, but I do like the team chemistry that he builds and the fact that people, the players are buying in. I think Tom Allen's doing a great job for Indiana football, despite some of the obvious mistakes uh, that were made tonight with timeouts and onside kick coverage and things of that nature. Um, so I, I would I would say once you get over the hurt, um, think of the word process, and that, that covers basketball as well. Uh, if you want to do things right, it often takes time. And that's hard when you're a fan and in today's social media world where everyone's talking and you want instant gratification. But in order to build things, you got to get old and stay old in football and you got to get old and stay old in basketball. And that generally takes two, three, four, five years to, to get there. Um, and I know people would disagree with that somewhat uh, on patience, but I'm trying to have patience and say good things tonight as opposed to what I'm really feeling deep down in my gut uh, watching that and having games like that happen over and over and over again to, to Indiana football. Eight and five in a big-time bowl on a Thursday night, competing very, very well. Um, proud of the program. I'm going to be ready to get that bar back out late August next year or early September and, and go tailgate. I already have tickets at Wisconsin. Maybe in the so, next 20 minutes. Who knows? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it is out down here and it was, you know, used tonight. Um, so please take what I say with a grain of salt. But process. I think we as fans need to take deep breaths and understand process in both of the big main programs for Indiana University. Andy, were you really that offended that I called you the Jim Harbaugh of Girls View Sports Coaching in Cincinnati that you had to just drop off and leave me hanging there? Uh, I would argue there's some others that you've put in that intro in the past that would have uh, been the last straw before before Harbaugh. Uh, all right, Andy, your bottom's line on what is a, a difficult night for Indiana sports fans. Uh, it, You know, I, everybody, you're kind of waiting for the worst to happen, I think, as an IU football fan. And no matter what happens, you're like, well, yep. You're up 13. Is the missed extra point going to come back to haunt you? And it always sits in the back of your mind. I think that always sits in the back of the players' minds to a certain extent. And and it just seemed like once things started to roll downhill, it really got away from them. They couldn't, uh, you know, they couldn't recover. They gave up those couple underneath passes when they were were playing a little bit too soft too early and gave up, you know, a couple of dump offs. The running back got 25, 30 yards and really gave Tennessee some momentum. And uh, and Tennessee adjusted kind of the flip side. They did the same thing with IU on that. Uh, on that last drive, really reset after the uh, the throw to Westbrook and um, and, and got it done. So uh, it's one of those where you always try to. I think we tend to try on here and from a basketball perspective to put things in some kind of perspective and and not completely wipe away the joy that a season may have uh, may have brought brought to fans and uh, people like that. So I guess that's what I'll I'll try to do here. This has been a, a pretty fun IU football season, uh, given. Uh, how it started out, what the expectations were, and as Coach said, you can really start to spin that forward and uh, and and paint yourself a positive picture as you move forward with this uh, with this coaching staff. Flip side of that is, you know, you've seen special teams issues at times, and that was uh, one of the things, not the only thing that that did them in. Some of the clock management things that have uh, were not new, 
uh, to tonight's game are are disheartening, and you just have to hope at some point that you learn uh, from those kinds of things and you see uh, adjustments made in those areas in the future. So uh, a, a bummer of a way to uh, to end what has been a really fun IU football season, uh, which is more than what you can say about a ton of recent IU football seasons. So um, I, I guess you can see it whichever way you want, but in the, you know, immediate aftermath, it's, it's really hard to look at the positive, but I guess I would uh, encourage people to say, you know, did have an eight win team, which was something that had not been done uh, in quite some time. And uh, hopefully that bowl win is the next step. And, and hopefully that comes next year, given the way things are headed, but uh, it does not make it any easier to look back at a game that uh, you really had uh, and, and gave away. Uh, not all that different from a basketball game against an, a different SEC opponent from over the weekend. Just had to mention that. Just had to mention it. There were it did feel somewhat, somewhat similar, unfortunately. Um, all right, this week on Assembly Call Radio, we're going to talk a little bit more about the bowl game here in segment number one. We know that you don't come to us for our football insight, but we just want to get it out of our system since it's right after the game, and then we will turn our attention to basketball uh, with a quick look ahead to Saturday's game against Maryland, and then have some fun uh, with some, some all-decade questions that we will dive into. Uh, all of that coming on this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio. First, let's talk a little bit about tickets. As you know, you have a lot of options when it comes to where you get your sports tickets. And this is not an industry that is known for its growth and innovation or for being customer friendly. But with millions of live event tickets and a price match guarantee, SeatGeek proves that there is a better way. SeatGeek built the fastest way to find tickets so that you can stop searching for the perfect seat and instead start enjoying it. For tonight's game, that perfect seat would have been next to the Tennessee fan who went nuts uh, in the fourth quarter that everybody was tweeting. Oh, if you only got to sit next to that guy. Uh, but look at the App Store. SeatGeek has over 50,000 five-star reviews, and the reason is because they deliver a better process for buying tickets. SeatGeek pulls together millions of tickets from all over the web, and they rate each deal on a scale of 1 to 10 with a color-coded system to show the value. Green dots mean good deals. Red dots are overpriced. And then SeatGeek displays the tickets on an interactive seat map so you can see right where they are. And every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets with confidence. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. It's by far the fastest and easiest way to find tickets. And so if you want tickets to any upcoming Indiana basketball game, home or away, go to SeatGeek because they have them all listed there and you will find the best deal that you will get anywhere. Get a brother, get some coupons. Yes. Best of all, SeatGeek will give you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is use our promo code. So download the SeatGeek app today and use the promo code ASSEMBLY for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code ASSEMBLY for $10 off your first purchase. All right. Um, So, you know, a few lingering thoughts about this game. And, you know, I saw this mentioned in the chat by a couple of people, Coach, but you know, it's it's it, it, for some reason it feels especially disappointing when you feel like the players really went out there and put forth a winning effort, and when it really feels like you can trace a one point loss. Yeah, you can trace it to missing an extra point. That's fine, but it really felt like some of the coaching decisions took a win off the table. You know, whether it was the really poor clock management at the end of the first half. I sent you guys the text message. My mom was texting me about that for twenty minutes angrily. I think she kind of summed up how everybody felt. It was just such a boneheaded decision with eight seconds left, you know, to let five seconds run off the clock. You don't give yourself a chance to try and score there and you just settle for a field goal. And then obviously not having the onside kick team ready at the four minute mark. I mean, those two things to me are bordering on coaching malpractice. And those were huge, huge plays in this game that if they go the other way with just what you would kind of call just normal judgment, 
you know, to me, I, I think Indiana wins this game. And so that, I thought Indiana's players played so hard. I thought, you know, in the beginning of the game, Tennessee was just dominating Indiana. I mean, running up and down the field, the defense bent but didn't break. They stayed tough. I thought the offense, you know, despite some early struggles, found their way. Kalen DeBoer made some great adjustments. But some of those big picture decisions that really go straight to the head coach, you know, I don't think it's always that simple. Tonight, I actually think it's pretty simple to me why Indiana lost this game. And that, that to me, is why it's really, really frustrating coming out of this. And I, I can't shake it. Yeah, I... I... First of all, I'll say the defense just played fantastic. Um, maybe that last drive when they were uh, more prevent uh, and gave up those first, you know, two or three checkdowns, which got Tennessee's momentum going. And then, um, you know, it, it's hard to to be too positive about the defense because you give up two scores in the last seven minutes um, to to lose the game. But uh, I yeah, but that, our, that, that defense kept a minute. The first, you know, I mean, their ability if, in the red yes, zone early exactly. in the game was. If you would have told me that Tennessee scores what twenty three points, I'd say Indiana wins. Yeah, um, that's what they were averaging scoring. That's what we were averaging giving up. Um, you know, and I thought the offense did all right. I thought they they had trouble with the speed of the defensive backs and the line and strength of the line in the first half. And I thought Kalen DeBoer made some really nice adjustments in the second half with using uh, Ramsey more of a wildcat situation. Uh, um, you know, of matching up numbers. Uh, so I thought that was 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 good. But yes, uh, and and again, I'm always pro coach, but. I'm screaming at the TV with eight seconds to go. As soon as Ramsey crosses the first down, that has to be a timeout. Um, and, and then then to not tell uh, Ramsey to go up and spike it, you took five seconds to spike it. If you wanted to spike it, it should have been at seven seconds, and you still could have run a play. That is just – you've got to think two or three plays ahead or have people on your staff thinking two or three plays ahead. Um and I don't know if that's on Allen or that was on DeBoer, but that that you've got to be thinking ahead there um, with one timeout left. And then you take a timeout at three seconds once the clock was stopped. Um, that, to me, was really bad. Um, the, that, the onside, that, that goes on Allen. I mean, yeah, maybe he has, has a guy that's, that's supposed to be in charge of it to help him, but the buck for game management stops with him. And, I mean, and um, Yeah, because your best-case scenario on that is, I mean – you know how the clock operators can be like two seconds to snap it and spike it is probably your best case scenario. So, so best case, you got six seconds, which you probably have time to take a quick shot. But at that point, it doesn't really matter. You're going to, your play is going to be to the end zone. So take the time out that saving that time out for that is nothing. Because if you threw something underneath and a guy runs around and gets tackled, the clock's going to have run out while he's running around anyway. And, and even if you just wanted to kick the field goal, take the time out. You got eight seconds, a bad snap. You can spike the bad snap. It, it, there, there is just no defense for not taking that and spiking at three. And and, and I was just um, – Mrs. Tonsoni was down here, and I'm shouting at the, at the TV in language that I shouldn't use around Mrs. Tonsoni. And so that's bad right there. But um, – and then, then – As long as you weren't shouting at her because she is – No, no, no. I was shouting okay. at the TV. But right. – um, I do think that uh, the the interesting the kickoff thing at the end, I think that's bad too. Uh, but with three timeouts Tennessee had, I think that was really a better decision by Pruitt. But I think you still have to tell the guys to be ready for it and prepared and put a few more guys up, even if you thought they were going to kick off normally. They looked to me like they had their normal kickoff team there, and then you add a missed extra point. And, and I know See, Justice I had a good year. But man, those the special teams coach and 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 those timeouts, just not good coaching. 
I mean, See, that's, I, I, I thought it looked like they had some of the hands guys in there because um, Ronnie Walker was up. I, I'm not familiar enough with who plays special teams, but that Ronnie Walker was there, but he was he was like 10 yards beyond the 10 yards where the ball had to go. So he was like, that's the gap that they kicked the ball in. And so I thought they actually did have some of the hands guys out there. But again, I don't I don't know enough about who I, they were too far back is out even. there. But he he in particular was too far back. The other guys were all pretty much standing on the you know, the, the 45, but he seemed like he was at, at least he was beyond the 50. And by the time he tried to run up and get it, they had put the ball in between. Now, whether the ball went the 10 yards or not is perhaps another question, but. And, and I, I think everyone took steps back too, or at least one step back. And I think Tennessee might've called that on the move, seeing the lineup uh, of, you know, um, gutsy call there. Um, but yeah, that, that, and then, you know, Aaron mentioned in, in the chat too, but the timeouts used throughout the second half to save plays. And, and then there was a time also after, after a field goal where the kickoff, uh, we get a delay of game. And I, I, that might have been in the first half, but, and Alan's yelling, that can't happen. Well, yeah, it can't. Then don't let it happen. Um, the, the, those are things that I think have kept Indiana from making that next step in the football program. And that's just a point of improvement this year is that game management. Um, and and we all do it as coaches. You got to look back at your season too and fix what you don't do well. But that has to be has to be fixed. Special teams in the timeout situation. This stat almost doesn't seem like it can be real from ESPN Stats Info. Tennessee overcomes a 13 point deficit in the final five minutes to stun Indiana. Entering this matchup, FBS teams were O and 471 when trailing by at least 13 points in the final five minutes of the fourth quarter of the season. That's what it says verbatim. That doesn't seem right, but that is kind of and what it feels like. That's Indiana football. But you know, look, these are all. I think all of these, all this venting that we're doing, and all of these complaints, they are perfectly warranted. I think. I think they were the difference between winning and losing. I lay that directly at the feet of the coaches. That's what makes this so disappointing. You know, and yet, you know, without Stevie Scott, without you know, so many different starters this year. You know, Indiana played toe-to-toe. They had a chance to win the game, and as we said, they completed an eight-win season. So I think we should end. Let's end this segment because we don't want to get too deep in the weeds on football. You know, you guys listen to Hoosier Huddle. You listen to Crimson Cast for that stuff. They do it, you know, 8,000 times better than we do, but we just watched the game, so we had to get – you know, we wouldn't know how to I would like to get ourselves right for a brief brief moment to discuss this, but other than that, I think we can wrap up. Segment one, sponsored by Jared's mom. Oh, my God, her tweet storm. It did not stop. It just went the entire – halftime she's very very angry but again let's end this on a positive because this was a good season but i thought you know i, I thought the tweet from crimson cast kind of summed it up which said if you i don't i can't I don't have it right here in front of me but it was something to the effect of you know if you want big attendance you win games like this and there is definitely something to that this was a lost opportunity i mean this was going to be such a party figuratively and literally for everybody watching this game everybody there the perfect ending to a great season and and it didn't happen and it ended in just crushing defeat and so it was a lost opportunity for indiana but a really good season overall and coach to your point if this is part of the process and things continue on then maybe we look back at this as a speed bump something to learn from but right now it's just a a really heart-wrenching loss. So I feel bad for the players. I uh, feel bad for the coaches, too. Um, I know that's not going to be a, a real fun plane ride home, but I still tip my caps to them. Great season. Thank you guys for all of the uh, all the hard work this year, all the heart that you showed, because they definitely showed a lot of heart. 
All right, coming up, we are going to look ahead to Indiana's matchup against Maryland. Andy's really looking forward to this. And then we'll dive into some fun all-decade discussions, including picking our all-decade teams and much more. we got a lot of great questions from you guys, so we're going to have some fun with that. Stick with us here on the Assembly Call. What's going on? It's Christian Wofford. What's the only thing better than an epic buzzer beater? Celebrating it with friends afterwards. Join my guys, Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on the Assembly Call after every IU game. Go Hoosiers. Welcome back to the Assembly Call. You can find all of our content at our website, assemblycall.com. And if you ever want to join the chat mob during our unedited live broadcast or watch those replays and see all the between-segment banner, then check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash assemblycall. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and the coach Brian Tonsoni. And guys, let's let's move on from the football team, move on from the disappointing Gator Bowl loss, and let's turn our attention to what we do here on the show, which is talk basketball. Uh, so big game for Indiana coming up. Big Ten play resumes on Saturday. Uh, it's an early start. I believe this is a 12 Eastern start, Andy. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, the Ryan, Ryan Phillips special, the 12 yes. o'clock Eastern start. <laughs> the Ryan Phillips special. Uh, so IU plays Maryland. So, you know, no easing into the Big Ten schedule here. Start right off at Maryland. Um, Ken Palm currently has this as a 74-66 win for Maryland, a 24% chance to win for IU. Maryland, the number eight team in Ken Palm, I believe, out of the next eight games, Indiana plays five teams currently ranked in the top eight. So those issues that we saw in the Arkansas game and in some of the previous games, they got to get fixed real fast for Indiana to to kind of build some momentum uh, here during this early part of the resumed Big Ten schedule. Andy, as you look at this matchup, you know, besides kind of the obvious stuff, what are you know what are a few keys to victory for Indiana? Where are maybe some places Indiana can take advantage of Maryland if they're if they come to play on Saturday. I mean, I do think depth is is one potential factor. Um, they had uh, Maryland had a, a pair of freshman twins, um, big guys transfer uh, or going in the transfer portal. They don't have a ton of size outside of Jalen Smith. They don't really play anybody else over um, six seven or six eight really besides him. And they just um, had two big guys transfer, right? Yeah, that's the twins. I was just yeah, that's the twins. I just mentioned. I'm oh, sorry, Mitchell, I just I pulled the Ryan. That's okay. Um, and uh, so, so they, you know, they lose those guys. So that hurts their depth a little bit. Um, they've not shot the three particularly well, even though I feel like they have some guys who can uh, shoot it better than what they have so far. But right now, they're uh, they're two hundred fortieth in three point shooting at around thirty one percent. So, um, but they they you know, a lot of the things that IU, you know, for all the things that we think IU does not do well offensively, um, some of the ones IU does do well. Maryland matches up with. Uh, pretty well on the defensive end. They don't give up a ton of offensive rebounds. They don't um, send teams to the line a whole lot, and they uh, have a really good two-point defense. So those are really the three biggest areas that IU has going for it on the offensive end, and those are uh, three things Maryland does really well. They have a high block percentage, which is largely Jalen Smith. He's a, a big part of their you know defensive rebounding effort uh, and, and those things as well. So uh, I think that, that becomes the struggle. Um, they've played well at home. Both their losses have come away from home. Uh, at Penn State and at Seton Hall in back-to-back games. I don't know that they've been overly impressive in a number of those games. They beat Illinois by one at home. Uh, even last time out, just beat Bryant by 14 uh, at home. So I don't know that they've quite lived up to some of the the preseason hype that they have had, uh, but they do have some talented players. Uh, be interested to see you know, how IU deals with Jalen Smith. 
uh, and having a number of, they're a little bit like Arkansas in the sense that they have a number of uh, wing type players. You know, Cowan is not big, but they play a lot of other guys anywhere between six, five and six, seven. Um, so some interesting matchup things that way, which, um, which we'll kind of see how those play out. But uh, I think it's really, I use got to get some things figured out offensively um, and try to keep them off the offensive glass, keep them getting easy buckets, make them shoot threes. Uh, hopefully they, hopefully they miss. I think, uh, okay. I think we lost Andy's microphone there. Um, coach, any, uh, any thoughts on you on IU Maryland before we move on? Well, it's just um, it's a chance to get a road win, which will boost your your resume. And winning on the road in the Big Ten is going to be very, very difficult. And, and so you could um, you could look at this as you know you're playing with house money. You you know you're expected to get beat by eight. You only have a twenty four percent chance of winning. Go in and play free. Uh, from a coach's standpoint, uh, Indiana's the rest of Indiana's um, season is going to come down to guard play. And, and I think it's just simple as that, Jared. I mean, we could put that. Uh, conversation on you know record it and just play it back every time we have a show. If, I mean, we knew if, that in the off season, you know, like, and, and and it's really playing out. If the guards play like they did against Florida State, we can beat anybody anywhere. If the guards play uh, like they they did um, uh, in the last few minutes of the Notre Dame game, in the last few minutes of you know giving up the lead in Notre Dame and giving up the lead at Arkansas, um, you know, there, there's a lot of good play that's going to waste uh, because of, of bad decisions at, uh, at the guard and the inability to get the ball into the post. Um, and the coaches got to do what they do, too. They got to change things up a little bit. But, man, I've been really disappointed with that. And I also think um, I'm interested in seeing what the juniors and seniors can do. And, and I don't really count Joey Brunk as a, as a junior. He's new to the program. But the new guys in the program have been doing and playing – you know, at their level or closer to their ceiling. I, I think the the juniors and seniors are nowhere near their ceiling and, and at best have been average and have just carried on what they've played in the past. And you needed a better Justin Smith and you needed a better Devontae Green and you needed a better Al Durham in order to be very successful. And whether that's on Archie Miller or that's on the players themselves, those three are very, very important to Indiana's success. And they are playing at best average um and not moving up towards uh, closer to their ceiling. And that's just, if those guys play, I think we, we have a chance to win any game. If they don't, we're going to be another Wisconsin, possibly. Yeah, some of that early development that we saw in those first few games in November from those guys has not carried in to some of these games against better competition. And it needs to, because you're going to be as good and go as far as your upperclassmen take you. And Indiana needs more from those guys on a consistent basis. Okay, let's do some fun all-decade questions, and we'll start with a big-picture one, this one from our buddy Sammy Jacobs, who runs Hoosier Huddle, and he asked a very simple question. Was it a successful decade for IU basketball? I feel like this answer is pretty easy, but you know, let's at least kind of lay out the evidence. Indiana did win two outright Big Ten titles, four trips to the NCAA tournament, which, you know, Sounds like a lot when you haven't been there in three years, but then you think four NCAA tournament trips in 10 years, not good at Indiana. Uh, three Sweet 16s, which is, you know, decent when you only made four trips to the NCAA tournament. And, you know, you put a bunch of guys into the NBA, which, you know, is is something. Um, so was it a successful decade? To me, the answer to this is very simple. No, it was not a successful decade. Um, you know, if you want to say, like, was it an okay decade or a fair decade, Maybe you'd have an argument there. I think it was a poor decade overall for Indiana basketball. Missing the tournament this many times, 
so many seasons when you're just not even competitive in the Big Ten. And just the sheer amount of games and moments within games where you felt overmatched, that just, I just, I don't feel like that's what Indiana basketball should be. And so I think this was a very poor decade overall with some great moments. Don't get me wrong. Some, some tremendous highs, but the consistency just wasn't there. Um, and the highs weren't high enough to compensate for that. So my answer is a, an emphatic no uh, on was it a successful decade. Coach, what do you say? Uh, no. Um, if, if it's Indiana basketball, the, the only thing that is is two Big Ten titles. I, I, I think if you have two or, or more Big Ten titles in a decade, um, that, that, that that's acceptable. You need to go eight, nine times to the NCAA tournament. I can see you in a rebuilding year missing once. I really think you need to go all ten. Uh, the Sweet 16s were nice and fun. For me, putting guys in the NBA, I know you guys like the league. I could care less. It's about Indiana on the jersey. I was, just, I was just trying to find another bullet point. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but a lot of people see that as successful, and it is. That I mean, it's not. I mean, you are, you are helping guys achieve their dreams, and I, yeah, I do think and that's something. As a coach, you know, you want your guys to go on and do well in the future. But um, for me, it's Indiana, and don't play that clip from no. Coach okay, Cream. Okay, yep, don't. Um but it's Indiana, and we got to win, and we got to win on a regular basis. So, no, it was not a successful decade. You know, and the, you make a good point about the Big Ten titles. Two outright Big Ten titles in 10 years with how good the league is, that's pretty good. But not when it's compared with all the other seasons, you're like seventh or worse. You know, like it, you know, if you're winning two Big Ten titles and you're maybe finishing top four, you know, in six and, or seven of the other years, that's where it should be. But just, my goodness, the roller coaster. I mean, that just isn't acceptable. Uh, Andy, let's cross our fingers. Do we have you? Yes. Yes. For now, until whatever is going on you- with my computer crops up again. Um, much much like the decade of IU basketball, inconsistent <laughs> performance from what Zoom thinks my default uh, microphone and uh, and output is. But no, I would I would agree with you guys. I think it's the lack of consistency, and there it goes. Um, well, we we still have you. Can you hear so. me now? Okay. Uh, yes. So let's move on. I, I mean, again, that was a pretty simple answer. I think. Uh, let's do all decade team coach. Did you guys do this last week on uh, assembly call radio? Did you guys give your all decade teams? We did not. We thought it would be more of a full segment than a, just an answer on mailbag. Um, okay. Well, we can at least devote about 10 minutes to it here, uh, depending on, on how much we want to. So again, for any of these all decade questions, um, and I should actually, before we begin this, because this was actually a question, uh, from our buddy Jay. And of course, that question has now been branded as the mediocre question, and we have new theme music. So let's introduce this question in the proper way. Here we go. It's not that good, but it's not that bad. It's Jay's mediocre question. <laughs> Jay, I don't think I don't think he's here in the chat mob. I think he is drowning no. his sorrows with a uh, a very high priced craft beer somewhere. Um, but this was his question. So the all decade team. Now I don't. The reason this question is mediocre is I don't believe he gave us criteria for it. Um, so because there's a lot of different ways you could do this. Like who are the most accomplished players? The way that I like to look at it is, you know, if they were assembling a Big Ten All Star team of players from this decade to play against an IU team, what's our best lineup to put out there? So I thought about it in terms of a starting five and three bench guys. Like, what is your what is the rotation that you're putting in this tournament? So, Coach, here's the direction I went. Please pick this apart when I'm done. 
My starting five was Yogi, Victor, and Romeo as your ball handlers, OG, and Cody Zeller. That's my starting five. And then off the bench, I've got Thomas Bryant so that you can get a floor-spacing big man if you want him. Uh, Jordan Hulls. I really had trouble at the guard spot because I think Blackman would be a great option because of his shooting, but I could not pass up Jordan Hull's leadership and some of those intangibles that I think you would need on a team like this. So I ultimately went with him. Plus he's an amazing shooter. Uh, and then for my last spot, it was down between Juwan Morgan and Christian Watford. And I went with Christian because of the shooting, because now all three guys off your bench can shoot. And so you can, and, and he's was an underrated defensive player, especially later in his career. So that's my eight. I, you know, and I, you can certainly make some arguments for some other guys, but that's who I went with premium on shooting. Um, and I, and the reason I went with Romeo in there is just, you know, now if you have Romeo and Victor, you've got two guys that can get to the basket anytime you want. So good luck trying to defend that. So that's who I went with. Uh, pick that apart. No, I, I can't. From your criteria, I, I think it's the absolute perfect team because you have the best players in the starting lineup. Um, and, and they're all, you know, in the league. So if you're putting together a team to go compete against someone else, you put your five pros out there, and then on the bench you have Thomas Bryant, um, and and then you you have other guys that were, were good players in Watford and Hulls. The only one that I could maybe say needs to be in there if you're only going to settle with eight and not add a ninth is Jawan Morgan um, for, for his ability to play multiple positions um, and – just as all out hustle that I think, um, you know, but I don't know who you replace him for. If you, if you're going to put Morgan, you'd in, have to take Watford out, you'd have to take Watford out. And, and I just think that would be, be really tough to do. So, um, no, with, with your criteria, I think that's an absolute great all decade team. Andy, do you, uh, did you, did you hear my team? Uh, I see it in the run sheet. I did not hear your, uh, I did not hear your criteria that coach referenced, but uh, okay, Everything so here is terrible. Re- IU football has broken my computer. It's broken my my heart. Uh, it's broken me personally, <laughs> and now it has broken my electronics. Uh, so the criteria was if Stephen Bardo was putting together a an, a Big Ten All Star team from the past decade, and we had to then put together our Indiana All Star team to face that crew. So you actually like the lineup needs to fit together. It's not just based on achievement. Um, who would you who would you pick? What would be your the Stephen Bardo element of this is alarming because I think you could <laughs> assemble nearly anyone to beat a team coached by him. But that's neither here nor there. Um, I, I I thought the guys that you had listed um, would probably make the most sense to me just in terms of forming uh, an actual lineup. And and yeah, the only guys that I really I, I laid out a few additional options in the in the sheet. But yeah, I think it, the only potential would really be to take. Uh, to take Watford and, and replace him with a guy like Juwan, who from a size perspective is relatively similar, maybe a bit more versatile. But I think when you really look at how Watford evolved over the course of his time at IU, he was a good rebounder, um, solid defender, and, uh, and an incredible make, shooter. I obviously could make important shots. So uh, now I don't know that there's too much to, uh, I don't know if there's too much to argue about there. I think, you know, OG is probably the one people would look at and, you know, you look at him now, you look at the flashes of moments that he had, and you, you wish that you saw more of him at IU. The injury uh, limited our ability to really see what all else he could do. But I think when you look physically at what he could do and, and how you could play him alongside the other guys, I think that that would make sense. And it doesn't necessarily 
I guess theoretically you could sub Watford for him in a starting lineup in that scenario, but that would really be the only other option that you could go with from a, a lineup perspective. I thought about that too. See, now we need Ryan here to tell us why Race Thompson should be on the uh, on the All Decade team already. He's he's got him penciled <laughs> into the uh, for the next decade already. So he does. Good. He does. Ryan's team would be let's see. Uh, Race Thompson would be on there. Max Bielfeld would definitely be on there. Uh, Will Sheehy, I'm sure, would make his way on there. Uh, Ryan always liked Troy, I think, more than anybody. He'd have, he'd have Troy Williams on there. So, you know, Ryan, Ryan would have been the uh, – he would have had we, the We need to opinion. bring back Andy's uh, substitution report or whatever playing time report because I, after Ryan and I went back and forth on uh, <laughs> on race and everyone that be subbed out, I, I went back and watched the games and found that there were a few subs uh, in the last six minutes, but – by the way, if you haven't gone to the YouTube video for the IU Arkansas game, like it must have been shared in some Arkansas like you know message board or like by some Arkansas tweeter because it is just filled with comments from Arkansas people calling Ryan out for you know talking down about Arkansas and people are calling Ryan out for saying that Race Thompson should be in there. Someone called him a tool. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh it's it's funny when you see the opposing fans come in and take over your comment section. They uh they handled it with the class that you would have expected. What other criteria um for decade team would we use if it wasn't just for the the all-star team that you're putting together? Contribution? It's, yeah, achievement, you know, to where, you know, your your backcourt is probably Yogi, Jordan Holes and Victor Oladipo. Um you know, now and now you have the question of okay, Zeller only played 2 years. You know, do you you know, does Juwan Morgan get in the starting lineup because he played for four years? That you know now you know Watford is undoubtedly a starter if you're if you're right. doing it that way. So you know that, but I don't think that's as fun a way to look at it because now you're just kind of like you know kind of looking at numbers and lining up some it's of that stuff. So that's why like, like, at that point, yeah, yeah, that's why I like looking at it more in terms of impact and like how would these players fit together, and that's what's fun about this because you really start to think like. You know, right, how how is this guy going to fit with different lineups? How malleable is this guy to playing with other good players? And that's that's what to me is so impressive about Jordan Holes is to me he has to like I could not take him off of this team. You know, even though he's you know he's not in the NBA, um, but you know he produced for a reason, and I think you know some of those reasons might have been intangible, but you know. But if you look at it, not not accumulation of stats necessarily, but what they meant for the Indiana basketball program. And you would lose some guys like Romeo and OG who were hurt and didn't play and then went on and were great in the NBA. You would, but, but Indiana doesn't Wat win one of those Big Ten titles without OG. Yeah. But you have Watford with the watch shot, who's yeah. meant a lot for Indiana. Jordan Hulls, Yogi Ferrell, Victor Aladipo, Cody Zeller brought Indiana back from one of the worst um, self-inflicted, self-reported uh, – Problems. You would then. You would. Verdell Jones has an argument at that point that, for the. Then you have Verdell Jones for staying shoulders. through, through there. Uh, Jawan Morgan for staying through four years. You have a guy like Troy Williams, uh, three years who who played um, and and went on. So Robert Johnson for bridging the gap between eras. Yeah, and um, I think you know we're at a time where a lot of us want Indiana basketball back to where we supposedly believe Indiana basketball is back as good offense, good defense, uh, Indiana recruits, all of those guys. Um, some of these guys really started that from, you know, the 10 years after night and all that problems that we had. They, some of them started that, and Archie's trying to finish it, whether he's the guy or not. Um, I think there's a lot of guys that represent what we want um, and I don't want to take anything away from the Romeos or the OGs or, or the guys who, who only came and, and, and didn't play, but 
Um, I think that's what the decade probably will be remembered by if we can get back soon. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good point. All right, coming up in our third and final segment, we're going to answer some more of your fun all-decade questions, including the best and worst losses, the best shooter of the decade, and the best achievements other than being ranked number one. All of those and more. Stick with us here on the Assembly Call. Jordan Halls, and I never miss a shot or an episode of The Assembly Call. Thank you, Jordan. Welcome back to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and the coach Brian Tonsoni. Remember that you need to be subscribed to our email newsletter. We send out a weekly IU News Roundup, and then after every game, we send out a detailed post-game analysis. Text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. That's IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. Time now to continue on with the mailbag. All of these questions submitted via our private IU basketball discussion community, uh, which you can learn more about at assemblycall.com slash community. We put out a call for fun, you know, all decade questions, different ways that we could kind of attack this topic as we uh, are, are now at the end of the decade. And so we had this from Alex. He wants to know what were the biggest wins, excluding the Kentucky game, of course, uh, and the worst losses of the past decade. Uh, so, Andy, would you like to tackle this one first? Which ones? Which are like the first ones that just jump to mind? Yeah, I mean the the Michigan one to win the the Big Ten uh, championship in 2013 uh, came up. the The Iowa one to to win there, beating Kentucky in the tournament. Those were those were the few because I think the the stakes were the greatest. Um, you know, beating Michigan State twice last year was great, but it didn't really. In the end, the season is not remembered positively. It almost reinforced um, the frustration of the season. <laughs> it, yeah, it actually is a harsh reminder of what yeah. could have been. Um, so I think those were the three that that came to mind more immediately because they either were to clinch something or were in the NCAA tournament. There were definitely some other um, some other big wins, but those were the few that stood out to me. The NC State one, of course, is one that I think we are very, very fond of and that is extremely meaningful. Um, it, at the time, it felt really meaningful, but then in hindsight, it really took on added meaning. Um, but I don't really think it's been blown out of proportion. That was a really, really important win for that team to get. Um, and then, you know, the VCU one, I think, in the 2012 tournament when Sheehy hits the shot and that, you know, puts Indiana uh, into the Sweet 16, that was also uh, a fun win, a really important win for Indiana. And I think Ryan tweeted out and texted us, which he loves to do. He loves to tweet, uh, text us his tweets. Uh, but he had talked about how the North Carolina game in the 2012-2013 season when we just blitzed North Carolina at home uh, was one of you know just the most fun times that he had had watching IU basketball, which I agree. That was a really fun game. And I would also throw the Michigan home game in there. I think that was 1-2, wasn't it, that game? Um, I actually watched that game on a treadmill in New Orleans. We were there for the Super Bowl for the 49ers and the Ravens, and my dad worked for the 49ers, and to watch that game on the treadmill. But it was, it was awesome. That was, of course, the... The, that game is best known for the greatest missed dunk of all time, uh, the alley-oop to Victor Oladipo. But those are definitely some of the wins, Coach. Any others? I mean, there's some other good wins, but those are the ones that kind of clearly top the list. Well, obviously, the the Watt shot win is going to be remembered. Um, but the VCU one, you brought that up. I, it was really important because we had been so down. Um, and, and even even in the one year, uh, we, we had some success and Samson left and, and the, the way the Davis – 
it was so nice to get back to the Sweet 16. And when that shot went in, I think everyone took a deep breath and said, yes, we can do this again. And and while that might not be as memorable as the Big Ten titles or, or the watch shot, for me, that that was a huge win that I needed to, as a fan to see to, to, to really feel comfortable again. And unfortunately, we haven't gotten a whole lot more of those um, or as steady, but um, uh, yeah, that, that win stands out for me. In terms of losses, I think it's pretty clear what the number one loss is on the list. I don't think we need to talk about it because um, that'll just bring up horrible memories. So let's just slide on past that. But that was the one that came up first. But then the two that came up next, and I don't really know what this means, but the Indiana State and Fort Wayne losses in the art, the first season of Arches Air were the next ones that came up. And I don't think that they were, you know, the stakes weren't the highest for those, but they certainly just felt devastating, you know, when they happened. Because it's it kind of, you know, took a little bit of the early momentum away from a, a new coaching era that we were really excited by. And we all kind of, you know, <laughs> kind of talked our way through it. And, you know, unfortunately, some of those issues uh, kind of feel like they persist at times today, which is a little bit concerning. Uh, but those definitely jumped out to me. Um, and obviously, look, I mean, you've got, you know, all the NCAA tournament losses, the the North Carolina loss in the Sweet 16, where we just basically weren't even in the game. That was obviously a very disappointing one. Uh, but Andy, what other losses uh, stand out to you? Uh, the only other ones that I added were losing to Rutgers in the opening game of the Big Ten tournament, although perhaps any loss in the Big Ten tournament should not be that surprising or should not be taken that hard. Hey, uh, we played poorly then, in the Big Ten tournament. <laughs> and then I put Shocker. Maui in the in in 2015-16, which that season ended up to be so much better, and that part of it was was kind of forgotten. But that was a pretty terrible like three days of basketball uh, that they played there. So those were a couple of... Uh, rough games but they turned it around which was nice yeah so they turned it around so you kind of forgot about those but those were the few that as i kind of scrolled through the schedule stood out you know it's interesting in the chat mob credit to the folks in the chat mob mentioning this one the first fort wayne loss because if you remember that was you know indiana was riding high after Mm -hmm. beating kansas you know and i think that game actually came before the north carolina win but it was the first hint of like what is wrong with this team like they i mean you know, it was just an awful performance. The fact that you I think OG the might have been dealing first with an injury. Wayne but, loss is alarming, but that's yeah. God, what a boy! That's a bad sentence. I did not, I did not expect to have to say that sentence three years ago or four years ago, but here we are. Um, okay, there have been lots of other bad losses, and I don't want to get into any more of them because it's, there have been too many bad losses. That's why this was not a successful decade, as we established earlier. Uh, Coach, let's have some fun with this one. Best shooter of the decade, which to me it comes down to five guys: James Blackman. Yogi, Nick Zeisloft, Christian Watford, or Jordan Hulse. Like when you look at the numbers, and I put their slash lines here so you guys can see them, you know, these guys were all, you know, all shot 40% or better from three. You know, all were 82.4% or better from the free throw line. These are the purest shooters. Who was the best? Like if your life depended on a guy making a shot, there's different criteria that you could use for this. Man, I like them all. Uh, I'm going to have to say James Blackman. That's all he wanted to do, and so that's all he did is shoot, and, and he did it really well. The other guys had to play some defense and run some offense, and so you know uh, they might have been off a game or two. Um, but but what a list there. You can't – you know, who who would you replace Blackman with? I'd probably go down to Hulls, Hulls. Um, just because he, he – you know, and maybe should be number one uh, with, his, with his numbers. I'd go Hulls number one. 
the free throw yeah, shooting, that's who, that's who the I consistency. Although although Jordan had some slumps actually, so he had some pretty bad slumps at times. But I would go Jordan. Like I would, I think I feel like I would just trust him more. And, yeah. and look, James hit some big shots. You remember that shot he hit against Penn State? I mean, he he checked know. Blackman. <laughs> he checked Blackman. Yeah, he, he was open as soon as he crossed half court. He was probably. I mean, like the best individual shot was Yogi's pull up three. I mean, that was just yeah. deadly. You know, an incredible shot. And I think James was probably the most fun guy to watch shoot. Like he just had such a beautiful release. And could really get a three pointer off pretty much any time he wanted it, was it because pure. it was yeah he was you know he's so tall um, you know and and Watford deserves some mention there too I mean he, as good of a trailing three point shooter as you're going to see in that high release and obviously he made some memorable ones but I would I would ultimately go with Hulls uh, as the best shooter but but you know fortunately there have been a lot of guys unfortunately those guys are all in the past and we need to get some guys on the current roster uh, because we don't have anybody really that would even approach that conversation. And that's disappointing. Andy, we got about 20 seconds left. Do you want to have the final word on this topic? Uh, Holes was the one that I, I would have picked. I think from a free throw shooting perspective and and even when you see what he's really gone on to shoot as he's played overseas, I mean, that's continued to, I, I think I feel like he's even gotten better. Some of the stats that you see thrown out there. So it would, it would be holes for me. Yeah. Okay, that's it. We're done. No more questions. That is going to do it for us on this week's edition of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter. Special thanks to Bob Thompson for producing most of the music that you hear on the show, including the new Mediocre Question of the Week theme. Uh, And thank you for listening. We will talk to you Saturday after IU Maryland. Until then. Take it from me, Yogi Ferrell. Keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right. I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. (sighs) Okay. And cut. There were a couple more real quick that we can hit. Uh, oh yeah, Bill said best program achievement after being ranked number one, or other than being ranked number one in the national polls during the Tom Crean era. The two outright Big Ten titles obviously are at the top of the list. There, I mean, anytime you can win the Big Ten outright, yeah, I think this. that that's a little better. The Sweet Sixteens were nice, but in a couple of those, you expected maybe to to move on, or you would hope to move on. Between yeah, I mean, those yeah, two, probably. Yeah, you know, three three Sweet Sixteens and four NCAA tournaments is you know that's it's or in, in four seasons is fine. You know, like certainly we would take that right now. <laughs> you know, um, but we aspire to more. And so you're right. In the moment, some of those felt disappointing. You know, in hindsight, you look at it and you're like, well, we didn't achieve a whole lot. So, you know, being ranked number one, you know, winning the Big Ten titles, you know, those Sweet Sixteens are really probably the other achievements that are that are meaningful. And then the other, you know, I listed it here too, you know, again, going from one NBA player, Eric Gordon, and maybe like DJ White and a couple other guys were having, you know, were in the NBA at the time, but certainly not playing big roles to now where you have nine, you know, and it's a, it's a legitimate, a legitimate thing and something that Indiana can obviously recruit to. So it's not, it doesn't help us feel better about the performance of the team on the court, but it's, you know, certainly something that's, it's nice to see those guys out there having success and achieving their dreams. So um, Andy, any other achievements? No, I'd probably, I'd probably pick the big 10 titles out of what's, uh, what's on there. Yeah. Uh, oh, and then Jesse asked for the top five recruiting classes based on how they turned out at IU. 
I didn't do any research on this one. What I will say is Tom Crane's class of OG Thomas Bryant and Juwan Morgan was uh, talk about exceeding expectations. Look, Tom Crean had some dud recruiting classes, that, as that, we that know. That was better than the movement? That, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the movement did give you Yogi Yo. Farrell, you know? So it's, you know, that whole thing was a disaster, but at least you got one of the best guards in the history of your school from it. But, man, all – I mean, if you imagine when that recruiting class came through and someone's like, oh, by the way, all three of those guys are NBA players. Excuse me? <laughs> And they are, and they yeah, that's were. That's a bet you'd have taken. For and sure. they had huge impact at Indiana, you know. And they're all guys who are incredibly easy to root for. That class was, I mean, now look, you know, the Oladipo Sheehy class. I mean, in terms of beating expectations, that one would have an argument too, just because of how amazing Victor was, um, and and how good of a player Sheehy was too. And obviously the Hulls, Watford, Elston, Maurice Creek class. That was a really good class too. Um, and the, you know, the, the Noah Vonley class probably fell short of expectations, you know? And so Indiana didn't really capitalize on that 2013 season with, you know, with the recruiting class that came in. Um, but you know, the two that definitely just shattered expectations was the, uh, or were the, the Sheila Depot class and then the Bryant Morgan OG class, fantastic recruiting classes. And the jury's out kind of on, you know, on, on Archie's recruiting classes. Um, we'll have to see how those turn out. Anything else, fellas? No. I was I'm looking for it. Some, I need to get pro- some rest. Yeah. The work the work alarm calls are early tomorrow. Yes, so it does. I will let Best you guys program uh, achievement. I will let being... you guys finish up. All right. See you, Andy. All right. We'll see you guys. All right. Later, I was man. Kind of looking for the bullet point on best program achievement being a coaching change, but <laughs> I didn't I c I couldn't find it. Well, I mean yeah. Although, you know, <laughs> the the new coach needs to get some skins on the wall. Pretty soon, yeah. Quick, yeah. Quick. Time, time is time is starting to run here because we're we're talking, you know, longingly about Sweet Sixteens and Big Ten titles and all these things, and you know, let's go. It's it's time to experience that again. So, it yep. is it is time. Because uh, as that coach told us, it's Indiana. <laughs> Dang on it. <laughs> Why? It's Why? Indiana. Why had to play that? I'm a- <laughs> well, he, I mean, he was right. He had a point. He did have a point. Not All right. True. Ah oh, man. Right. You you know what? By hey, the way, um, tomorrow. The, oh, no, I was going to say is the final point. You need to make the final point that you made right when we got on here. That something good is going to happen for uh for the IU football or basketball programs here coming up soon. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean. You can only get kicked in the teeth so many times in 10 years, 12 years, whatever, before something turns and then stays good. I mean, we had our runs back when I was just young and spry and had hair, and then it's gone away for a while now. And so now it's time for you youngins to experience all of that joy. So, man, it's been hard losing leads and football, losing leads in basketball and injuries and your quarterback's out, your point guard's out. Yeah, water finds its level. Someone I don't like always says on their show in Indy, but it is true. It's probably the only thing that he said is true. Um, but man, I need to find that level quick. Hmm. And we need some guards. Yeah, we do, we do need some guards. We need guards. We need guards. Basketball is so much 
more fun to watch when you got guards. And I like I like all of our guys. I like them, but they need to play better. And we need to, you know, we need to recruit more talented ones. And the ones we recruit need to stay healthy. Let's go. Let's do this. I I will say this. Um, hey, five five lefts uh, knows I'm from Laporte and and the nickname Slicer. Like to see that in the in the chat room. Um, former player of mine stopped by and we were talking and, and he he watches the show and he was talking about when when a new coach takes over it's like a blended family and I think I put that in in the coach's yeah. corner thing and it really got me to thinking about what kind of kids are from the previous family that are being morphed with the new family. And the, and the two guys, you know, at Ohio State and Louisville, which Archie gets compared to, you had Rick Patino recruits that Mac had to accept into his blended family. And you had Thad Mata, who came from Butler, Holtman from Butler. Um, and, and I want to go back and see, was Wesson a Mata recruit? Um, you, you know, the, the guy Diop was a Mata recruit, yeah. um, and those guys played well. And, and some of the recruits, uh, and I, I know I sound like I'm apologizing uh, a lot for for coach, but it really was. It it's a tough thing to blend um, different regimes if you're not close. Um, and it, it seems easier from the outside in because you've had the guys for two or three years. But I think that's really happening uh, a little bit with the the seniors and, and juniors, maybe not getting to their ceiling, showing some improvement but not total improvement. Um, I guess that's just some hope. But I, I wanted Thank to pass you. that on um, as that's a new way that that I'm kind of looking at it. That it's kind of it's not as easy as we might think, uh, depending on on that shift. That's been mentioned on our shows before. But still, there, there's it's still time to. Yep, all of that baked in. Let's make the tournament this year. Yes, gotta that would back be nice. Because all that got to find a way to get to the tournament in three years. You know, got to find be able to take a group of guys and get them to overachieve. Even okay. with all the like, there's always like with every loss and with every season, there's always stuff that you can point to that kind of explains that thing away. And yet, this is Indiana, and you want to have a coach that at some yeah. point leads a group of men to doing more than what was expected of them. I'm just doing some self-talking uh, to remind myself of patience. Yeah. You know, um, we won one game, lost another game, and we really played bad for a total of 16 minutes or maybe 18 minutes and combined in those two games. One cost us, one didn't cost us. And other than Wisconsin – uh, you know, but is that going to be good enough going forward? Um, to be fair, though, we also won some games where we had some stretches of bad play. So that does kind of balance out a little bit. Yeah. But, I mean, y your point is well taken, and things are still things are still pretty good. I mean, it's all right out there for them, you know? Yeah. I mean, As bad as IU played, they were up 61 to 52. Yeah, I know. No Justin be able Smith, to close no, no guards, guard ejected, and you're up 61 52. And um, you're at home. You've got to win that game. You've got to win that game, and – um, so, yep. Anyway, hey, it starts right now, as you said. I was having a conversation about that with somebody else, you know, lamenting how tough the schedule is. And it's like, it is going to be tough, but there are also opportunities. You know, let's go, let's get some opportunities that can anchor that NCAA tournament resume. We know we're going to take some losses. Everyone in the Big Ten is going to take some losses, you know, and we're probably going to take a decent amount of them. So get ready because that schedule is going to be tough. But if you can pick up, you know, two, three, four of them against those teams that are in that upper tier of the Big Ten, you know, and take care of business at home against the other ones, you're going to be fine. You know, no one's expecting miracles from this team, but they should be capable of that. That's not asking too much. Let's and, go. And that's why I mentioned, Jared, the four and two. I, I, I've, I, 
if I have time, any spare time, I'm looking back at last year's NCA, what the committee did, and yeah. what those teams were in those brackets. And almost every team in was at 500, above 500 in quad one and two, or maybe just two or three games under. Well, I use four and two, and if they can just be 500. I think they're going to be they're going to be okay with the strength of the of the Big Ten. Now that might be a lot to ask with the non guards and situations, but um, with this non with the strength of schedule thing, I think there are some pieces that if you can close out games, um, I'm talking that way because I worry about the guards. But yeah, um, so uh, tomorrow uh, the guy's got my phone number. I'm doing the, the oh the he I'm sorry I, I forgot to mention he's actually off tomorrow he texted me okay. back there's no okay. show tomorrow okay so but if Excellent. you is that a, is that a time that you can do it regularly if I'm out not not regularly but I Just I'm tomorrow. still on uh, Christmas break so oh, I don't okay. have school tomorrow so I was going to fill okay in for no it. thanks yeah thanks for doing that but he's off so it's all good okay, okay. boy I'm yawning already it's right. time to let's go. You don't have to drive off. anywhere to steal Wi-Fi right no. To, to do, you know. <laughs> no I shouldn't have to I should be fun. My lovely wife, she drives with me. That's the only time we have to talk. We sit out there like Bonnie and Clyde stealing <laughs> Wi Fi awesome. from the school. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, all right. All right, man. You're the best. Um, so you're a maybe for Saturday, right? I, I should be good. Um we I don't know if we have practice. We win tomorrow night. We might not have practice, but if we do have practice, it'll be in the morning. So I should be able to get home by noon to watch the game enough. Um Cool. Yeah, so I should be in. Okay. Uh, almost ninety percent in. Good. Less airtime for Ryan to talk about. Race Thompson. <laughs> Race <What>? Thompson. <laughs> he needs to play more. Race Thompson. He does. <laughs> All decade, Race Thompson. He needs to get it. No, I, I agree. He does need to play more. I'm not a fan of 11-guy rotations either. Uh, play your dudes. But If you can even count Deron Davis in the rotation right now, he plays for two minutes, picks up a couple fouls, and then never sees the floor again. Do I, I know you need to go. Do you think that he promised everyone they'd get some first half action to try to keep the team going in the right direction? And then I mean, he's going to play. I mean, he said it. We're going to play everyone, and then we're going to go with the hot hands. So he said that. Um, but I mean, I'm he, at the point. I, I certainly hope he reserved the right to to change to, it. To, yeah, to I know. do that as long as it's serving the interest of winning. Right. I mean, you know, I that's I, my point. I still think Duran is such an important part of what this team can do. Like, I'm fine with giving him some minutes to see what he's got. I mean, if he's doing something in practice to suggest that you should, I guess I just don't understand why do you play him for two minutes if you're never going to put him in there again? And maybe the game situation dictates, you know, that you don't. And it's not like he's done anything while he's been in there to earn more minutes. So I guess I'm answering my own question, but it just almost seems like even those two minutes in the first half are a waste. Why not give them to race or Joey? If that's all you're going to give him, I don't know, well, but I, but at the same time, I still, I still think he's an important player down the stretch for this team. So I don't want to see him totally eliminated from the rotation because I like to me, if you get what you thought you were going to get from Duran against Arkansas, you win that game because you can put him in there and get a couple buckets or, you know, get an open three pointer late because of the skills that he showed last year when he was healthy, but he is, he is not that guy right now. Right. And I think this team really needs that guy, but you know, it's not there. Thank goodness for trace, man. Cause so much of the stuff we talked about in the offseason that needed to happen for this team has not happened. And the one thing we didn't really talk about a lot was trace being awesome. And he's been awesome. So thank goodness for that. Yep. No pressure. Young man. 
<laughs> well, you got to have someone who gets him the ball. Yeah, no. I mean, you had a six-six guy on him, throw the ball up, let him jump up, pogo stick, get it, and come down and score. Okay, so okay, so that was one. That was one question that I had. Is it? I mean, it looked like there were times when he had that advantage, and it's like I, I swear it looked like the guards saw it, but they just didn't want to throw what was kind of a risky pass. But to, at some to, point, don't you just like? Is that a lack of skill as passers? Is that them? being too afraid to make a mistake because it felt like there were some opportunities. Um, Post-feeding is is very, very difficult because you've got to handle the pressure that, that's on you. You've got to read the post defender and you got to read the help. Um, it's a lot easier to make a wing entry pass or a pass to the elbow in the pinch post. Um, so so it is difficult. Sure, yeah. But, but when your team is, is the strength of your team, you've just got to throw it in there sometimes. Um and I think they missed opportunities. Um, I think the timing's off. You know, like when the posts are open, the the guards aren't ready to throw it in there, or kind of they're looking, but they haven't made. And by the time they make that decision, then the guy slides to a three quarter post, or the help comes over, and then they make the right decision not to throw it in. But it should have been thrown in a half second earlier. Our guards are not making good decisions, not in shot selection, not yeah. in when to dribble through two people, not when to jump in the air and throw a behind-the-back pass off someone's shins. Um, our guard play has been bad. Bad. Did just I'll be nice in case one of their moms is listening, but um, or two of their moms or whatever. But it's just been bad. And and all the moms that, I've ever interacted with would probably agree. They're they're usually pretty clear headed um, about the, and the teams playing. You can't. I, I and I'll tell you what. I think right now our best guard is Armand, even when it is ups and downs, because Armand's doing what he can do as a freshman. You expect more from Al. You expect more from um, Devonte. You've been a college basketball player for four years. Make a post play. Uh, don't turn. The, don't fling the ball over your head nonchalant up 60 to 52 and get it tapped for a fast break layup that sparked their run at the end. And then you follow it up by a, a little post pass. That's not good. Two turnovers. The next thing you know, it's a, it's four points. Um, Al Durham getting ejected, but yeah, I think that, and I do think it's on coach that he's got to try some different things. Um, get trace that ball in the pinch post at the elbow and let him spin and go and do some things at the elbow as well as just the, the low post. Um, the thing that fans and we forget is that 61 52 and he's got 20 points. There was a lot of good actions that the coach called to get him the ball and the guards did a lot of good things to get him the ball. Some of it's rebounding. Um, yeah, but I, I think he needs to come up with a couple more sets. He, he tried three or four, uh, but he needs to come up with something different in different locations um, now because teams are just front fronting and heavy help side on the backside and then pressuring the ball. And um, that's what Notre Dame did to get back in. That's what Arkansas did to get back in. And once that's on tape, it's going to happen. And Archie knows that. Um, it is the most difficult thing, I'll tell you, Jared, is a team that can't shoot, to coach a team that can't shoot. It just makes everything limits, harder. It limits your creativity because the floor is not stretched. We had that situation with our high school team last year, and somehow we eked out 13 wins. This year, we spent a lot of time shooting, and we got a sophomore that can shoot a little bit, and we still haven't shot it extremely well. That's why we haven't won the games against better competition yet. Um, we're sitting at five and four, um, yeah. but you know. It, yeah, you want Archie to do different things, but if guards can't dribble and guards can't pass and guards can't shoot, 
<laughs> kind of limits you. <laughs> well, and then, but it's his fault for not having better guards. He's been there three years. He's got to go get guards. For having having two open scholarships and not being able to find a ball handler. Grad transfer, something. I mean, Proctor is at Purdue that's at least playing something. Uh, And I'm a big Archie fan. That would be my complaint is more the recruiting than the strategy than than anything else because it's about the Jimmys and the Joes. I mean, Arkansas had two guards that just went off. They didn't do any offense. Dribble, 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 pull up from 28 feet, cash. Uh, Musselman's a great coach. Yeah, because he had those two kids. I mean, that is 75% of the job, <laughs> although he inherited them. <laughs> oh, yeah, he inherited them. And those kids were just jacking threes, and they only hit 38% on the, on the game, but they hit the four ones, four big ones down the stretch, and they were just – Yeah. It wasn't bad defense. It really wasn't. No, not on, not points on to Arkansas. Our offense is the problem, and we knew it would be. Yeah, the de- yeah the defense has gotten better, somewhat better. It still has some holes though too. Yeah, but that's it's the, thing. the defense isn't isn't it's not good enough to be our identity yet though. Like that's the issue is the offense is struggling, but we should. And again, we're eleven and two, so I mean, yeah. <laughs> we've, we've won our fair share of games. But projecting forward, you know, yeah, here's they, they what ticks me off about our defense is when the guards don't score, then they hang their head, and then people get behind them. Yeah. Justin Smith was late getting back. Um, uh, Countless times, you you watch Archie how mad he gets at people not getting back on defense, and that's when they, that Goodwin guy or whatever hit two threes or hit a three transition, right? And then that's your point per possession goes up, um, and and then your metrics, and then you drop in the net because we're giving up easy layups because we're sulking, um, and who is it? It's your upperclassmen. It's just disappointing, and and um. Yeah, that's on Archie too, but it's it's a personality issue with some of those guys. Yeah. All right. Well, good stuff. Good chat. Always. <laughs> I'll see you on Saturday. Yep. And uh, right, we man. will see all of you as well. See you, chat mob. See you guys. Talk Saturday after IU Maryland.